Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Kuf Gimel. Um, we're going to go, it's the second wide line on Kuf Beis and with Beis, 102b. So remember, we mentioned the Mashlokes, Rabbi Yochanan and Bnei Marova. When you're selling something, when, well, when someone's selling something, is his mind on whoever the money belongs to? Uh, oh, you're paying me um, that money, whoever, here's the heart of whoever that money is. Or is his mind on the person he's talking to? Who, who does he expect? And the difference is, um, to a degree, if you, if his intent is for someone else, well then he's not he's not giving it over to the other person. So it's not a good, uh, so it's not necessarily a good sale, or it's not so good. It has other ramifications for, as we saw in the top, whether if the item is, if he's not fulfilling his conditions of the partnership, etc. Okay, but let's, uh, so, so that building on that, this is what that price is going to be relevant to. Um, you know, just to clarify, Rabbi Yochanan is the one who holds that the intent is to transfer to the owner of the money, uh, who he thinks the owner, um, whoever the owner of the money is, whereas the Bnei Marova hold that he intends to be magnet to the person in front of him. Obviously, you can tell him to be give it to some, to be transferring it to someone else, but that the, would be the standard unspecified one. So Tonu Rabbonon, we learned in a brayser, if someone buys a field in the name of his friend, you can't force him to sell it. And if you say on condition that you sell it again, then we force him to sell it. Okay, a little bit cryptic. If you buy a friend from your field, you're not allowed to force him to sell it. And if you, if you say on condition, then you can force him to sell it. What, but you bought it from him, what you sell it? So my karma, what's it saying? So Amr of Sheshesh, Rav Sheshesh says, this is what it's saying. You buy a field from your friend and you put it in the name of the Reish Galusa. The Reish Galusa was the head of the Jewish community. So what are you doing? You're writing, your, you're saying, instead of writing the title deed to me, write it to the Reish Galusa because then no one's going to come and start up with it. No one's going to come and protest. You know, it wasn't his land to sell, it's my land. Who, you know, you're not going to have those issues. No one's going to want to start with the Reish Galusa. So that's what he does. Now, ain't koifin of so Reish Galusa limkor, you can't come along and force the Reish Galusa to sell it, I to write over the title deed to this guy. So it should have, the title deed should have been written to Eli, but I said, look, I'm a bit concerned, let's write it over to the Reish Galusa. I can't, and Koifin, I can't force the Reish Galusa to change the title deed to my name. The Im Omar Almanas. But if I said, you know what, I'm only buying this field for you, I guess, and you're going to put it in the name of the Reish Galusa on condition that he changes it to my name, then you do force the Reish Galusa to sell it. I not literally to sell it, but to transfer the title deed to my name. It says, Omar Mar. Mar said, so, so, so that's how Rav Sheshes explains it. He says, what we mean here is selling and forcing the person to sell is he writes it not in his name but in the name of the Rej Galus. It says, So in the price that we taught, or Rav Sheshes taught, that you've, um, you can't force the Rej Galus to sell. Michlal it follows, 
the matne conulae, however, that he does acquire it. Because what does it say? Really, it belongs to him, but it's just in the Reish Galusa's name. So what do we see? Um, it seems he's arguing the Bnei Marova. The Omri, they said, Who told the owner of the wheat that he's transferring the wheat to the Balabais? Okay, that's this point that I mentioned. The Bnei Marova hold that. They, when someone's selling an item, I mean up above it was selling wheat. So someone comes to buy wheat. In his mind, he's selling it to the person in front of him. Therefore, if he's trying to do it on behalf of someone else, it's not necessarily going to go through. So, so to here, I'm telling my friend, put this field into the name of the Reish Galusa. How do I acquire it? Because he's trans the my friend who I'm buying it from is transferring it to the Reish Galusa, not to me. So he says, no, that's not difficult. No, it's where I let the owner of the field know and I let the witnesses know. I tell him, look, I'm buying it for myself. I just don't want you to put it in my name. Similar to uh, you go buy something in, uh, and you put it in your child's name or something, you know, for, what's it, for tax purposes and stuff like that. You tell the person, look, it's really I'm buying it. Here's, let's sort it out. But I'm putting it in so-and-so's name. So that's what you're doing. Therefore, the seller knows that he's being marketed to me and not to the Reish Galusa. Um, but then wait. The later clause is not going to make sense because it says, If you say on condition, I, I say to my friend, look, I'm buying it from you. I want you to put it in the Reish Galusa, but it's on condition that he transfers it to my name, that he writes, that he I guess in inverted commas, sells it back to me, the Reish Galusa. So he says, um, um, so he says in that case, with the price said, you can force the Reish Galusa to sell. Am I? How can you force the Reish Galusa to sell? The lame Reish Galusa. Let the Reish Galusa say, I don't need your honor and I don't need your disgrace. Right? He says, I don't need your honor that you, that you, you're saying that people are afraid of me. That's honor, respect, uh, something like as we were discussing, but, uh, you, you're writing it in my name to put people off. Okay, I see the honor there that uh, that you're doing it because people are afraid of me. Okay, but, but I also don't need to degrade that now you're making me as someone who has to uh, sell off his assets. Generally, selling land is viewed as a sign of weakness. Um, so I don't, I don't need your honor and I don't need your disgrace. So that can't be shut. It doesn't make sense. Okay, it doesn't make sense to say that the case here is where he says. Um, sell the, put it in the Reish Galusa's name. Now it is my, I'll say, put it in the Reish Galusa's name. It is my field because I let you know and I let the witnesses know that I bought it in the Reish Galusa's name. But I can't force the Reish Galusa to sell. However, if I say do it on condition, then I can force the Reish Galusa. How can I force the Reish Galusa? He says I've got, I want nothing, the Reish Galusa can tell me he wants nothing to do with this. You, you can't trade under my name. Um, so that's that point. Just interestingly, Tosas asks, oh, so you let the witnesses know. So just get them to rewrite it. They know, so they're writing this document that says it was sold to the Reish Galusa. Let them, who witnessed it, just write another document that it was actually, that it was sold to me. And then, you know, if anyone comes to start up, 
I'll show them the Reis Galusa document. When uh, the heirs of the Reis Galusa come to say, isn't that my father's field? I'll show them the document and the witnesses who have revised it. So Tosso says, so why can't we do that? Why can't they even just rewrite the star? He says, they are never going to want to do that. They're going to lose their credibility. If they're signed on basically within a short time frame, two documents selling Ruvain's field to me, or one to, Ru- one to the Reis Galusa and one to me, people are going to be like, we can't trust them. They have no... Uh, so, so that's why the Aedim would never want to do that. Okay, so now we're going to have to come to a different explanation of that price. Again, remember the price says if you sell a field to your friend, you can't force him to sell it, but if you sell on condition, then you can force him. So it's not how we just explained it. So Ella Omar Abaya gives a different shot. Omar, this is what it's saying. You buy a field in the name of your friend, and it seems to be the same, you put it in the name of the... You can't force the moicher to write it a second time. Now you can't force the person selling it to you to write one document to the Reish Galusa and one document to you. Um, it's like selling it twice. It, it looks like selling it twice, and we're going to say that's why he can say he doesn't want to do this. Um, Again, why would you want to do this? So firstly, because if the star is in the name of the Reish Galusa, his heirs are going to come and take it from you when it suits them. And um, yeah, so you're asking your friend to write a second star to your name. So he says, almanas. But if you said on condition, then you can force the seller to write a second document. Are you telling him, look, I want you to sell this field to me. Please put it in the Reish Galusa's name. And this deal is all on condition that you actually write a second document that you're selling it to me. Um, why would the... This is what Dennis pointed out, is why would the seller be reluctant to do this? Again, it looks badly on him. How many times is he selling the same field? That's, uh, um, that's definitely not uh, uh, some underhanded dealings going on there. Okay, so now we're going to just analyze it quickly. We said that if you buy a field from your friend, you can't force him to sell it a second time. And we said that meant you can't force him to write a document in the, that he's selling it to the Reish Galusa and a second document that he's selling it to you. So it's obviously. Why would you be able to force him to? You come to your friend, you say, I'd like to buy your field, please put it in the Reish Galusa's name. And I actually go, actually, can you also write another document? Why would you expect you can force him? And as we said, he has a good reason why he doesn't want to, as we just said, because it's bad for his, repu- it's bad for his uh, reputation. Um, so, Maudetema, what would you have thought? No, Motsi Omarle. Maybe this buyer could say to him, You knew I was buying it for myself. And you knew that I was just doing it to strengthen my claim on the land. I'm not going to throw away money for nothing. It was implicit that I was doing it on on the understanding that you would write me a second star. Uh, that's, maybe that's what he could have, maybe that's what I could have claimed. I said, you know I'm not going to buy a field from you and put it in the name of the Reish Galusa. It puts me in a very weak uh, position when I have to deal with the Reish Galusa's uh, heirs. 
So therefore you should have implicit in this whole thing is that you write me a second star. So Kamash Balan to Omarlay and Yina Avdi Loch Bahariahu the Zovantalay Bishmay, the Yusovlachar Akhrina. No, he can say to him, I thought you had sorted the matter out with the person whose name you were buying it in, and he would write you another star. I, I, when you came and asked me to write it in the name of the Reish Galusa, I thought you had discussed with the Reish Galusa, and they were going to write your second star. Why are you putting it on me? Okay, so therefore we understand why the first teaching is not so obvious. What about the second teaching? If I say to him, sell me this field, write it in the name of the Reish Galusa, and the whole deal is on condition you write a second star in my name. Obviously you can force him to do that. That's part of the deal that he writes a second star. He says, no, no, this was necessary for the case where he said to the witnesses in front of the seller. Or he said, so he said in front of the witnesses, you know that I want another star. So, you might have thought, maybe the seller could say again, I thought you were going to get another star in the name of the. In the, from the person whose name you're buying it in. We see here that he can say to him, No, I said it to the Edim in front of you. So that you could know that it's from you that I wanted. Wanted it? Ah, it's from you. I wanted the second star. Okay, so that would be... Uh, um, So that would be the second way a buyer's way of learning that cryptic rasa, and now it makes sense. Um, next discussion. Rav Kahana Yoiv Zuza Akisna. Rav Kahana paid money for flax. The sof. And after a while, Ayaka Kisna, the flax went up in value. And Zabne Marvosa de Kisna, and the original owner of the flax went and sold it. So it seems we're going to see how this, the, the case is going to develop. I don't want to uh, spoil the sugya for you. But at the moment, basically, what we're assuming is Rab Kahana gave him, I don't know, ten, a thousand rand for flax. And he didn't take the flax. So it's his flax sitting with this guy. This guy saw the, the price of flax. Shoot up. So he's like, oh, let me sell it on behalf of, uh, let me sell it for Rav Kahana. Now, Asa Lekaime de Rav, Rav Kahana came before Rav, and Omar Lay, Ma Avid, what can I do? Um, Azel Eshkel Zuzah, can I accept the money? Now, why should Rav Kahana not be able to say, accept the money? He paid for this flat, the guy then went and sold the flax. You should be a why can't you accept the money that the flax was sold for? So Rashi explains because it looks like Ribis. Because he gave this guy a thousand rand and now he's getting one thousand five hundred back. So it looks and, and again the first time he gave him the money he didn't take anything. So it looks like he lent him the money and now he's receiving one thousand five one thousand five hundred rand back. It is yeah. So so that's what we're basically gonna say. Um, but just on the surface, the, what we're focusing on at the moment, which again is not correct, is that he's giving him the... He gave this guy 1,000 rand, didn't take anything, and now he's coming a, a few weeks later and getting 1,500 back. Looks like previous. 
That's the that's the He says, So so and and listen what Rav answered him. He said, If when this original owner was selling the flax, he said this flax belongs to Kahana, Zil Shokil, you can go and take the money. If not, you can't take the money. Okay, now we first point before we get into your issue, Mervin, we're first going to just address how this fits in with the previous sugya from yesterday. Again, when you go and sell some, when you're buying and selling, is the mind of the seller on the guy he's talking to? Or is the mind on this, of the seller on the guy whose money it is? He doesn't really care who he's talking to, it's just whose money is it. So, command who are you going like? So, Kinev Marova, he's going like the Bene Marova, to Omri who said, Mi hoidia le bal chitin, she yikne chitin le balamaos. Who's the owner of the wheat? Again, the Zuby over there, the Bene Marova said, Who let the person selling the wheat? Who the wheat is go- um, who the wheat is going for? What's that? So the lokach was giving the money to the original owner, who they dealing with, and that's why Rabs say you have they have to be informed that it belonged to Rab Kahana. Okay? If they held like Rabbi Yochanan, who what does Rabbi Yochanan say? The the seller's mind is always on the one. Is, is always on the one whose money it is. So it makes no difference, according to Rabbi Yochanan's way of learning, it makes no difference when you're buying on behalf of someone, like this case, the original owners or selling, uh, sorry, selling, on bo- whether you're selling or buying, it doesn't make a difference on behalf of someone. According to Rabbi Yochanan, you don't have to specify because their mind's on whosever it is. Not on who's in front of me, but who's whoever it is. So by the fact that we make a distinction and say, do they know that it was Rav Kahana, must be the assumption is they, their intent is to deal with the person in front of them, and therefore they would be giving the money that they're buying this flax for to the original owner. Again, unless he specified it's for Rav Kahana. So that's the Gemara... And so, so that's why the Gemara wants to suggest that Rav is in line with this B'nai Marova, this other opinion that when, again, when a person's selling their mind or buying their mind is that they're dealing with the, they're dealing with the owner. And that's why they had to inform, that's why Rav says, yeah, he should have been informed that it's Rav Kahana's flags. Now the Gemara asks, Did, this is your question, Mervin, did he give him 400 and now he's taking 800? He never lent him the money. The, the flax went up in value. The flax went up in value. And Migzal Gozlea, the second guy, actually stole it. And again, what does a thief vitnan? And we learned in a Mishnah. So our Mishnah from earlier on. They pay the value at the time it was stolen. So this guy anyway has to pay 800 back. Whether you say he's doing Rav Kahana a favor, whether you say he's stealing from Rav Kahana, what was the value of the flax that he sold? 800 compared to the 400 that Rav Kahana gave him. So that's what he has to pay back. So Omri, they said, Omri Hosom Amonahu. 
No, the case there is it was an amona. Amona means uh, amona havai. It was a. I'm going to call, translate it as a a, a trust. Um, but I'll try had never done a Kenyan an acquisition on the flags. What's this amona this trust? It's basically you pay someone for product. Like here, Rav Kahana pays him for flax. And basically what he does is he pays in advance and he says, I don't know, each month deliver me uh, 10 kilos of flax. Now the advantage of that for Rav Kahana is that, or for each of them, is that depending on the season, the flax price goes up and down, but you've bought it at a set amount. You've paid him, I, I, let's just go with number, 12,000 for the year, and each month he delivers you uh, 100 kilos of flax, and uh, in, in theory you're paying him 1,000 rand for each month that he delivers you flax. But that's the, the amount is paid up front, and the person can adjust the... Uh, can adjust the rate. Now, Rav Kahana doesn't do a Kenyan because when he pays him, when he pays this uh, trader, he's not getting any money. He, he's not taking any produce, product. Now, this is a little bit darcy when it comes to Ribis because what's Rav Kahana doing? He's pay, let's just say in May, we know that the flax is going to be more expensive because May, that's the wrong season and it's hard to get hold of it. So Rav Kahana is giving this guy 1,000 Rand now to get, or giving him 400 Rand to get 800 worth of flax in the future. So that looks like ribis. However, the Gomorrah Baba Metziah says, as long as when you started the deal, when I gave him the 12,000 Rand, he could have got the, the flax that I needed then, because it's in the market, he just chose to rather keep on to the money and buy the flax bit by bit over the year. Um, it's not considered rubies. Okay, so when I give him this 12,000 Rand now and he's going to over the year be buying me flax, since he could buy me flax immediately, since he could buy me flax immediately, that's not considered rubies. And even though at some point he's going to be giving me Flax worth much more than what I gave him. That's fine. You do see this in pretty of this circumstance. A lot of people buy wine and give it to wine shop. See, the wine doesn't go into the wine. But you're buying it for investment purposes. And even they store it. And the shop keeps it. You pay them a more so that would be yeah, so that would be similar. But the shop can't sell it, it doesn't belong to the shop. Yeah. So here I mean here you it would be like giving the shopkeeper money and saying, I want you to provide me with a case of wine. I mean it's slightly different. I think it it could have similar halachi ramifications, it's slightly different. You're saying, here's a here's a X amount, and I want you to provide me with a case of wine each month. And now that case, depending on the year and what's going on, is going to fluctuate. So at some point during the year, he's going to come and deliver this case of wine. And you're going to only have paid, I don't know, a thousand rand for the case, and it's going to be a case worth two thousand. So it looks like rubies. But since when you went to the wine shop to make this deal, he could have given you the wine then and there, 
you don't have to worry about it. Um, the uh, it's, but I'm saying I'm sure I've heard of similar things. I mean, with currency, people often do that. They'll make a deal to have a set currency that they're trading at over the year, isn't it? Something yeah, yeah. there's something like that, which I think is also similar. The Alpine, yeah. Um, so then, so Verav time and Rav's going according to his understanding. You can make an Amona this deal with Peros, but you can't make this deal with money. I, I can't give you this, I don't know exactly how it's working, money ask and get this uh, get money back each month where the, the value is going to fluctuate. So maybe that's with currency it would be more problematic. Here I'll give you, a, I don't know, 10 years, uh, 12,000 Rand, I want, a, I want a, what, $50 each month. I know some months the, the Rand's going to crash and some months the Rand's going to do good. You're getting different amounts, that would be problematic when it's to do with money. But as long as it's product, then it is okay. And now, so let's just go back to our case. So when Rav Kahana gave this guy money for flax, and that guy bought flax and then subsequently sold it for a higher value. Whose whose flax was he selling? His own, because it never belonged to Rav Kahana. Pardon? I don't I don't agree with that. Who did who, who paid him in on day one? No, but Rav, Rav Kahana is paying for flax to be delivered to him. Rav Kahana hasn't <laughs> done any Kenyan. So even so when this guy goes and buys flax, the it's the original guy's flax. No? So in other words, the original guys bought the flax, yeah. paid it from his own funds. Yeah. And theoretically it. from the funds that were given by Rakahana earlier, but yeah, but hasn't delivered it. And, and that's why it makes a difference. Did he say I'm buying it for Rakahana or not? If he said he's buying it for Rakahana, well then it's Rakahana's. Right. And then it would be, and that's then Rakahana could accept the higher value. If he said, no, if he just bought it for himself and he was going to decide whether to give it to Rakahana yeah. or not, well that's his own stuff. Okay, um, let's go on to the next point for the next Mishnah. So Hagoizel is Chaveru Shove Pruta Yeah, the is if you take a shvua that you don't owe someone money, okay, whether it's money that you stole, whether it's money that you were asked to look or property, not only money, you were looking after it or you borrowed it or whatever the reason is, and you take a shvua that you don't own the money, that you don't owe the money. What happens if you admit you have to obviously pay back the money that you owe or the item that you owe, but you also have to pay an additional fifth for your false shvur and oshom and oshom bring a korban oshom. So now we're going to discuss the halachas around that additional fifth. If you stole at least a pruta from your friend and you took a shvur that you did it, and then you admit that you did, you have to pursue him until modai. You have to go from Eretz Yisrael to modai to pay him back. That's to do tshuva. You can't, as we'll see, give it to someone else to deliver. You have to make sure that the money ends up in his hand. You can't give it to your son, to his son, or to his messenger. However, there's a leniency, you can give it to Shleach Beisdin. Rashi points out, because of to help people do tshuva, you're allowed to leave it with Beisdin, and then Beisdin will be respond, make sure to pay him back um, when he's around. If the guy you owe the money to dies, then you return it to his heirs. 
Okay, noy sein lo es hakeren velo nosa no es hachomesh. What happens if you paid him the keren and you didn't pay the chomesh? Or mochalal hakeren velo mochalal hachomesh. He waved. He said, oh, the item that you stole, you don't have to pay it back, but I still expect you to pay me back for the fifth. The fifth penalty for taking the volshua. Mochalal zev al zev. If he waived both of them except for the value of a pruta, you don't have to pursue him. The point of all these cases is that this halacha that you have to go after him and return the money to him is for the karen, the principal amount, the value of what you withheld from him or stole from him. What happens if you gave him the chomesh for not the keren? The guy waved that you owed him the fifth, but he did not waive the principal amount. Or he waved the full amount of both the keren and the fifth, except for a pruta of the keren. You do have to pursue him. Again, reinforcing this point is... This halacha that you have to travel far and go to a lot of effort to return the money that you stole or withheld from him with the Bolshua, that is specifically on the Karen and not on the Choymesh. What happens if you paid back the Karen and then you made the same mistake? You took a shvua that you don't owe him the fifth. So what were you supposed to do? You stole, interestingly enough, just to mention, a fifth here means what we would call 25%. Because <laughs> you always calculate the fifth is on in the total, a fifth of the total. So you stole 100 rand from this guy. Or he gave you 100 rand to look after. You took a shvur that you don't, that you returned it or that you never stole it. And now, when you do chuba, you say, actually, I admit I took a false shvur. So what do you, you owe him the caring of 100, that's what the principle. You owe him a fifth, another 25 another 25 and so here this guy he paid back the hundred and he took a shvur that he didn't owe the chomesh or he took a shvur that he already paid back the fifth so what does he do Meshalem chomesh al chomesh you have to add a fifth on the fifth for his new false shvur so I mean I don't know a fifth of 25 a little bit more complicated numbers but um, 25% of that what's it about 7 or so um Pardon? Seven and a half. Ad and Mosem Meshalem Chomesh Al Chomesh. Ad she is my takerim Mishove Prut until the Karen is a Prut. So interesting, when you take a Shfur that you don't owe the Chomesh, you now have to, and then you admit you have to add on a fifth, that Chomesh, the original Chomesh turns into the Karen, and I have a new Chomesh. That 25 Rand is viewed as Karen. Which means that you would have to pursue to that end of the world to pay it back, etc. And if you take a shvur on the chomesh, again, same thing happens until it's less than a shvur pruta because a pruta has no value. And this is only with zela. It's also with a deposit. Someone gave you something to look after, etc. Shenemar, as the pasuk says, oy bepikadon, oy yod. Whether it's a pikadon or a loan, oy begezel or eshek es amiso. I think that means uh, withholding wages. Oy motza aveda v'kiches. You find a lost object and you deny that you owe it. Benishba al sheker and you take a false shvur. So it doesn't. It's not theft. It's why any property you have of someone else's. And you take a shvur that you don't 
owe it to him, whether, again, whether it's because you say you never gave it to me to look after, or you say I already turned it, or you take a false sure that it was stolen and that's why I don't have to pay back. Whatever the reason is you're withholding this person's money by taking a false sure, that's when these laws kick in. And therefore, obviously, you have to pay back the amount you stole. And if you admit to taking the false sure, you're also going to have to pay in an extra fifth and bring a carbon osham. Okay, now the Gomorrah is going to discuss who the author of this mission is. It's Nishbalo in Loi Nishbalo. Our mission implies this halacha that you have to pursue him to the other side of the world to pay him back is specifically where you took a false shua. I, if you stole from a guy and then you want to do chuva, there was no false shua, but you stole from a guy and you want to do chuva, you don't have to go to the un- other end of the world to return the money to him. You can leave it with Bayes, then you can give it to uh, his messenger, you can give it to someone else to return. That's the implication of our Mishnah. And it's only where there's a false sure you have this obligation. So money, Lord Rabbi Tafan, Lord Rabbi Kiva. It doesn't fit in with Rabbi Tafan or Rabbi Kiva. The Tanya we learned in a bright sort, the Tanya we actually learned in a Mishnah. Gozel echon mehem. You stole from one of five people, you're just not sure which of the five it was stolen from. And each one says you stole it from me. Rabbi Tafan says you put the money between them and you say whoever it is taken. The Torah says point out, obviously it doesn't mean you literally put the money between them and they're going to fight over who gets it, because you're not going to get it to Rappel. You give it to Bayesden, and when some person can prove that it was his who was stolen from, he'll get it. So that's Rebbe Tarifon. Again, you put it between them, and you're good. You, you don't have to go to the effort to make sure that you've returned the theft. You just have to enable the returning. Rebbe Akiva and Rebbe Akiva says, Loza Derech. This isn't going to fulfill his obligation to return the stone. This isn't going to take him out of the Avera. You have to pay the theft to each one. So you stole 100 rand. You're not sure which of the five people you stole it from. You're going to have to give 100 rand to each of the five people. That's your obligation. What do we see? Now, Rabbi Akiva holds that you have to make sure to give the item to the thief. And this is, as we're going to point out, but this is on assumption it makes no difference whether you took a shvur or not. We don't see any distinction in the machloik as Rebbe Tafan. So it says, Mani, Rebbe Tafan, Apagav Dishtoba. Rebbe Tafan says, even if you took a shvur, Meinia Gezele Beneyem, he says, you can put the Gezele between them, Umistale, you can leave it. You don't have to go to the effort to make sure that it ends up in the hand. And here be a giver. And if you're going to say it's like Rabbi Kiva, I forgot the loishba Even if you did not take a shua, Omar Rabbi Kiva says, You have to pay the zayla to each and every one. So what do you gain? We our mission implies that this halach that you have to go into the effort to return it is. When is this? Rebbe Tar, oh sorry, Al Mishnah implies it's only where you took a shvur. If you just stole and you want to return and there was no false shvur involved, then you don't have to go to the huge effort to return it. You can give it to Bazin or give it to someone else to return it for you. However, yes. if you took a shvur, then you have to travel to the other ends of the world to return it to him. You have to travel from Israel to Mora. Interesting, I point out, we see, to fulfill this mitzvah of returning the item you stole or took a false shvur on, you even allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael. There's generally a problem to leave Eretz Yisrael. But for, for this mitzvah, you can. Um, so, but Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shmuel argue on this point and they make no distinction whether you've taken a shvur or not. Rabbi Akiva holds, holds you always have to make sure you've returned it to the person and Rabbi Tafran holds you don't. So, actually, 
רבי עקיבא היד, איז רבי עקיבא. וכיק אומר רבי עקיבא, עד שישלם זיילה לכל אחד ואחד. When did רבי עקיבא say that you have to make sure to pay each and every one? היכד דאישתבא הוא כאומר. He's speaking about where you did take a false shvur. My timer, what's the reason? To Omar Kro, the Pesach says, again, this is in the context of these false shvurs that we're discussing around the Mishnah, is לאשר הוא לא יתננו ביום אשמוסו. On the day that you're guilty, you give it to the one who it is. A lot of emphasis placed on paying back that person. Ah, oh, so, so we see Rabbi Akiva holds that not only when you've taken a shvur denying it, do you have this obligation to pay back the exact amount. And Rabbi Lavan holds, no, even if you've taken the shvur, granted the Pasuk says you have to return the item to the person you stole from, implying that you have to travel to the end of the world to return it. Says Avud Rabban and Takanta, the Rabbis made a Takanta. The Tanya, Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Tzodek, Rabbi Tzodok, I mean Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Tzodok says Takanta Gedoyle Hidkenu. They made a great Takanta. Now, why is it a Takanta Gedoyle? But they made a great Takanta. Shem Hoisot Soy Yisera La Karen that if the expense is going to be worth more than the value. I, what you pay me, you, you stole a thousand rand and now you're going to get on a plane and fly to pay back the thousand rand. Your expenses are more than the amount you stole. You pay the Karen and Chomesh to Beisdin. Uh, you give it to Beisdin who will have to keep it or find a way of getting it to the guy. And then you can bring your carbon Asham and you will be atoned. Again, they did this to enable people to do tshuva. If I know that I'm going to have to pay, spend, what, 10,000 Rand on a ticket and a hotel, another few thousand Rand on a hotel, just to enable to put, give someone back 1,000 Rand that I stole from them, I'm not going to bother. Also, as for family, it's I stole something from somebody from the shoe. Uh, I don't want to put food, try the whole shoe back in the 1,000 Rand back, so I can give it to the best thing. That's how I stole uh, Let's not go there. Yeah, I mean, but this is where it's got to do with the value. Yeah. I don't know if it's got to do with your embarrassment. I'm not sure if they made the takon in that state place. No, but it says it's done to give back to the person. You can give back to the... Again, that's, we're saying that's to do with the money, yeah. the value. Yeah. Um, your case is to save yourself the embarrassment of doing tshuva. That's why you would give it to the person. I'm saying I don't know that you can. I'm not sure. I'm saying for money we see you can. To save yourself embarrassment, we don't see that here. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't see it clearly from the Gomorrah here. Um, when did the rabbis make this takana? Because according to Rabbi Akiva, no. You stole and you took a shvur on it. Even if it's five, ten rand, you're going to have to fly to uh, Israel to return it to him. Says no, hechad the yod leman gozle. That's where you know who you stole it from. The komaharele mamoyne lemare, because then you re- theoretically returning the money to its owner. Aval gozel echad mechamisha delo yodo leman gozle. But where you don't know who you stole it from, the lo hadar mamoyne lemare, and you can't return the money to its master. Lo avud rabbanu takana. The rabbis did not make this takana. So that's why Rabbi Akiva holds that. Even if you did not, if you, um, even though generally to save you money, you can give it to Beisdin, that's where you know who you're returning it to. You give it to Beisdin to kind of hold on to for Ruvain. But here Beisdin aren't holding on to it for anyone. They're just holding on for one of the five guys. 
So that would be a problem according to Rabbi Kiva, and you'd have to. Now, Masiv Rav Huna Bar Yehuda. So where we're holding at the moment is we're saying that it's Rabbi Akiva who makes this distinction whether you've taken a shvua or not. If you have taken a shvua, you have to travel to the end of the world, except in a case where there's a takana. And... Sorry, if we give a hold job that where you've taken the shvur, you have to make sure to return it to the owner. And that would be give the money to each of the five people. Again, you're going to be giving five times the amount that you stole. So that's clearly a case of where the expenses outweigh the value, the karen. If you give a hold, since you took a shvur, you still have to return it. But there is a leniency if you didn't. Now, Mosib Rav Huna Bar Yehuda, Rav Huna Bar Yehuda, Omar Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, he said in the name of, yeah, sorry, Mosif, we challenge us. Rav Huna bar Yehuda, Omar Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, Rav Huna bar Yehuda, said in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, no lech leku. No, sorry. Mosif Rav Huna bar Yehuda, Rav Huna bar Yehuda challenged us. And this is the challenge. It says, Omar Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, no lech leku, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Tarfon, for Rabbi Akiva, ad she lokach echod mechamisha, ta'enu yodeya ma'eze mehem lokach. He says, no. Rabbi Tarfon and Rabbi Akiva, don't argue when you bought an item from one of five people and you don't know which one you bought it from. You can put the money between them and leave. It's where you pay, stole from one of five people and you don't know which one you stole from. In that case, says, you can put the theft between them and No, you have no tshuva, you have no takona, there's no way out of this except to give the amount you stole from each of the five people. Now, if it's a case where he took a shvua, what difference does it make whether he bought it or he stole it? So what's the case? You're standing in the flea market, and you know, you're like, you have 10 people badgering you, standing you around you to buy the same yeah. item. They're all selling the same item. And you give them, and you take it, and you're not sure which one you took it from. So now, we said that in that case, both Rabbi Kiv and Rabbi Tarpon hold, you can leave the money. However, if you stole from one of those five people, you're just not sure which one, that's where Rabbi Tarifun says you can, again, place the money between them. I give it to base into find the owner. And Rabbi Akiva holds. You have to pay each one. You have to pay each one. But now, what difference does it make whether it was a purchase or a theft? Again, according to Rabbi Akiva, what happened here? You took a false sure that you don't owe the money. And now you're admitting. So you should pay Karen Bachomesh. You have to pursue the guy to the other end of the world, according to Rabbi Kippa, for taking a shvur. What difference does it make whether you've taken a shvur because you bought it, or you're taking a shvur because you stole it? Should it make a difference? That, that does should make a difference. According to Rabbi Kippa, if you purchased it, yeah. and then you, you took a false shvur that you never. But you don't. Because you said if you purchase it, you stole it. No, he said if you purchase it, both Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Tafan agree you can just put the money between them. Right. And if you stole it, then Rabbi Akiva holds you have to give it to give the amount you stole to each of the guys it could be stolen from. Yeah. 
Now, the question is, again, why are you paying this money? Or, according to Rabbi Akiva, why would you have to give the money to each of them? Because you took a false shvur. So it must be the same with the sale. Or the purchase. You took a shvur that you didn't buy it. Or you took a shvur that you already paid. Uh, now, once you've taken the false shvur, why would Rabbi Akiva hold? Rabbi Akiva should hold the same thing. No, you give it to the one that you... To each one. So that's, a, so that's the one question. is If it's to do where a shvur was already taken, that doesn't... Uh, if it was to do with where the spore was already taken, then uh, it shouldn't make a difference whether it's a, a locker, a purchase, or a theft. Yeah. There's Vaod, and further, Vaod Mosib Rav also challenged this. He says, There was a case with a certain Chosid, a pious person. When we say Chosid in Gomorrah, we mean a very, very pious person. We don't mean uh, someone of Chosidish lineage. Um, and he didn't know which, so he bought an item and he didn't know which of the two people he bought it from. Uvol if Rebbe Tarfun, so he came before Rebbe Tarfun, Rebbe Tarfun told him, Omar lo, honach tamei mecho benayim v'istalek bo, v'istalek. You can place the money between them. I tell based in that when other of them can prove that they were the purchaser, they get the money. Bol if nei Rebbe Akiva, he came before Rebbe Akiva, and Omar lo, ayin lecho takon ha'ad sheyashalim lekol echod ve'echod. And according to Rikivi, he says, no, you have no uh, solution until you pay each one the value of, the, of what you owe, the value of the purchase. Now work out the question here. When did Rabbi Akiva say his halacha that you have to make sure to return it to each person? When there was a false shua. If we're discussing a case where he took a shua, would a chosid, would a pious person take a false shua? Never. It says, No, there is a possible. Maybe he took the false shua, and later on he became a chosid. Nothing wrong with doing tshuva. So it's for kol hecha domrin, and it says, No, for whole, but kol hecha domrin, and master for chosid echot. We know every time the Gemara says there was a case with a certain chosid, Oy Rebbe Yehuda Ben Baba, Oy Rebbe Yehuda Ben Rebbe Lai, Rebbe Yehuda Ben Baba, Rebbe Yehuda Ben Lai, Chassid in the Meikor Havei. When we say, when the Gomorrah says a chosid, it doesn't mean just any chosid. It's referring to one of two people, Rebbe Yehuda Ben Baba or Rebbe Yehuda Bari Lai. And, they were, and we know about both of them that they were Chassidim from, uh, from their youth. They were star students from a young age. They were always uh, pious. There's no chance that they would ever have taken a false shoe. If you're talking about someone else, we have no problem with saying, yes, they were, they were, a, they used to take false shoes and now they've done children and they are chosen. But we know those two weren't. So it can't be, again, it can't be that our mission is Rabbi Akiva and it's saying that where you take a false shoe, that's where you have the obligation to return the item directly to the person you stole from. Because Rabbi Akiva clearly holds that even where you didn't take a false shvur. Even where you didn't take a shvur, Rabbi Akiva holds you obligated to go to the end of the world to return what you stole or what you could possibly, or what, not even what you stole, what you bought, what you could possibly owe them. So we have to say our mission is Rabbi Tarfun. And Rabbi Tarfun agrees, where you took a false shvur. I, Rabbi Tarfun was the one who says, in general, you don't have to pursue someone to pay back what you stole from them. What we mean by that is you don't have to spend too much. Again, again, if it's the case of five people you stole from and you're not sure which one you stole from, you give the money to Bayesdin and you say, when one of the guys can prove they're the one I stole from, pay it back. That's Rabbi Tarfun's, that's Rabbi Tarfun's general shita. However, 
where the person took a false sure Rebbe Tafon agrees that he's got to go. Oh my time, huh? Why is Rebbe Tafon strict about where he took a shvur? To Amakrola, Pesach says, To the one who it is, he has to give it on the day when he's found guilty. So therefore, Rebbe Tafon holds specifically where the person took a false shvur. The Pasuk obligates you to go to the other ends of the world to return it to him. So it's actually Rabbi Tafon. Let's just read it. Well, yeah, so, so that's what we're changing. Mm. We're cha- yes. No, the Gomorrah suggested that it was Rabbi Kiva. And Rashi points out, why did we... Fit? Once we come on to this, it's, it could either be Rabbi Kiva or Rabbi Tarfon. Why did we start off with saying it's Rabbi Kiva? Because we would rather say an anonymous mission is Rabbi Akiva. We have a tradition that anonymous missioners often line up with Rabbi Akiva. But we see it clearly can't work with Rabbi Akiva because Rabbi Akiva clearly holds you always liable yeah. to return the object to the person, whether or not you took a Volshua. So it must be Rabbi Tarfun who makes that distinction, like our missioner said, that it's only where the person took a Volshua are you obligated to go to the other end of the world to return it. Oh, the Rabbi Akiva. What about Rabbi Akiva? Where, uh, doesn't, the Pesach says by false sure you're obligated to return it to him. Why does Rabbi Akiva say in all cases you're obligated to return it to him? So the Moran says, Afalgab de loy mishtava, of Rabbi Akiva, Afalgab de loy mishtava, Khanis. According to Rabbi Akiva, it's a penalty. This, that even if you didn't take a sure, you have to make sure to return it, is a rabbinic penalty. Okay, and we'll leave it there for today.